Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Good to see everyone here this morning, seeing some familiar faces from a uh, blast from the past. And uh, yeah, good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, we are in week two of You Asked For It. I was going to do it. You asked for it, Ernie Styles. Uh, but you asked for it, and last week we spoke about science and Christianity that's available on podcasts. Next week we're going to talk about uh, the question, does prayer change things? Uh, and in particular, people were asking questions like uh, with the refugee crisis, with terrorism that is going on, and all that kind of massive worldwide problems that we are seeing in the world what is prayer going to do with anything? Is prayer going to change anything? And I think a part of the question that many people have in their heart when they think about that is, um, what's God going to do about these things? Or what, why, why do these things actually happen? And so we're going to be talking about all of that. But this week, we have got an absolute doozy. We have got the question, what's the deal about heaven and hell? Heaven and hell. Great question. And uh, here are a couple of the actual questions that people wrote um, that we've uh, put together to form this uh, topic for this week. And the first one is this. Some Christians do not believe in the hell of eternal perdition, but rather just a cessation of life. They still believe in a heaven for believers, but an eternal world of suffering. And another person asks, can everyone in this world go to heaven? So it's it's... It's, it's a big topic, but instead of heading to those two topics, uh, questions right now, uh, there was another question that I particularly want to deal with this morning, and uh, the, I do need to deal with it with some sensitivity. And this is the question. Would God take pity on those who decide to commit suicide? You see, uh, I, uh, I put that together with this whole idea of heaven and hell because I think... Um, that, yeah, this person is probably thinking, and, and there has been, uh, I guess, people that talk about um, if you commit suicide is an unforgivable sin and all of that kind of stuff. But as I looked into this question, I wanted to deal with it separately, and I wanted to deal with it individually because of uh, a certain issue that I recognized, and that is that uh, the people that would ask this kind of question either fall into the category of uh, uh, having lost a loved one to suicide. And if that is the case, my heart goes out to you. I couldn't even begin to imagine what you have gone through or um, the healing process that you would have had to uh, walk through. And, and my heart desperately goes out for you that you would uh, find a peace uh, that is available through Christ. But this morning, instead of dealing from that perspective, I wanted to deal from the other perspective, which could be a person that is actually contemplating suicide or have a friend that has come to them and asking about this question. And it is uh, genuinely a difficult question. It's genuinely a question that is um, tricky because if I give a straight yes or no answer, it could be taken completely uh, to a place where I don't want this person to go. And upon reflecting on this question, I decided that the question that this person is asking is not truly a question of whether God takes pity on a person that commits suicide, but the question really is, where do I find hope from? And where, where does hope truly come from? 
You see, suicide is simply a symptom. Suicide is simply uh, an option that a person has come to through certain difficulties that they are facing. And I was talking through uh, this question with a counsellor friend who has been counselling for over 30 years and probably on a daily basis in his work, he encounters people uh, that have got suicidal ideation or tendencies. Um, and, and what he said is that, I, Nate, I never deal with suicide. I never talk about suicide. They will come in, they will present uh, these symptoms and they will say, this is what I'm thinking about. And then I will never talk to them about suicide for the rest of the session. Why? Because suicide is never the issue. The, the issue always has to do with what is going on in the person's heart. And so he gave me a bit of a framework, which I will give to you this morning on talking this through. Maybe for yourself, find someone that you can have a chat with someone who cares for you, someone who will listen to you without judgment. I can be that person for you if you need it. Uh, just, just don't deal with this by yourself because uh, this, this, this is a framework that needs fresh eyes. And, and, and if this is a friend that you have that has come to you saying, I am thinking about suicide, maybe run through this with them. Stop asking them about uh, how they're thinking about their suicide and all that kind of stuff. But ask them first this question, what is the story? What's your story? Let them tell their story. See, quite often when a person is going through difficulty, the problem is that no one is listening to their story. No one is helping them process what uh, difficulty they have gone through in their life. If the person doesn't want to talk about it, just continue to probe until they break like a pimple with all their black stuff coming out. Not, not quite. Let's not go there. Went a bit insensitive there, but I'm sorry. But Ask them maybe when, when did you first have that thought? What was going on? What is the story surrounding that issue there? What, what caused you to first think about it? Allow them to tell their story. Don't let them back away from it. They need to face that story. They need to face it. It's not a story that you can hide because the more they've hidden it, the more they've come to the conclusion that suicide is the option. If you want them to walk away from suicide, then they need to face the story. No matter how difficult, no matter how heartbreaking the story is, they need to face it. And as they share the story, help them to come to grips with the emotions that they felt in that experience that they had. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but they need to talk about their emotions. How, how did you feel as you were going through that experience? And what our world has done is that our world has taught us how to hide away from questions like this. And so people have learned how to swear their way out of discussing their true emotions. I felt like F. I felt like S. I felt like whatever. Is that? I don't know. I felt like crap. What does that even mean, that you were squishy and brown? It doesn't make any sense. But our world has allowed us to hide our true emotions by coming up with words that don't really connect with how you are feeling. We are growing up with a generation of people that are not in touch with their emotions, even though they are led by their emotions. How interesting that they have learned how to talk uh, about emotions without talking about their true emotions. But when you talk about their behaviors and the choices that they make, it always comes back to their emotions. But they never really know how they really feel. So you need to be able to sit with them and say, no, that's not it. The situation really sucked. 
Yeah, okay, it sucked, but how did you feel? Well, I felt like crap. No, that doesn't make any sense. How did you feel? And when I was sitting down with my counselor friend, he said something that really shook me because he said that what you are listening out for are emotions to do with a sense of betrayal. Every major mental difficulty a person is having in terms of suicide, eating disorders, self-harm, all come back to this central issue of being betrayed, of having trust withdrawn in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes that was done deliberately. Sometimes it was done unconsciously. Sometimes it was done with malice. Sometimes it was done innocently. Sometimes the person even had good intentions behind the actions. But for you, you experience a betrayal. And because you experience a betrayal, what you try to do is to take control of the situation. And when you try to take control of the situation, you end up trying to control things that you can control. Eating disorders come because a person is trying desperately to find one area of their life they can control. And no one can force feed you. No one can force you to ingest. No one can force you to keep something down. And so a person has an eating disorder because they are trying desperately to find a way to find control. Teaching them to eat might be a necessary thing to do, but it doesn't deal with the issue of the heart. In the same way, how does suicide deal with betrayal? And this is, again, this is coming from a psychologist, and it, it blew my mind because I never thought about it in these terms, but he said, suicide's the ultimate form of revenge because you check out and then you leave your dead body in front of every person that has hurt you, and you say, deal with this. It's not my problem anymore. And when I, Beck and I watch uh, a few episodes of the series 13 Reasons Why, I would not suggest this as a, uh, a show to watch for the faint-hearted or a person that is truly struggling because it opens up options that should never be options. But the crux of the story is about a girl who commits suicide and over 13 episodes she torments people that hurt her. Absolutely torments them. Even those who had good intentions and didn't really know what they were doing, they were tormented by her actions. And so suicide is never innocent. And this might not be necessarily what is going through your mind, but this is what is going through on the inside of you. The real question that you might be asking this morning, if I could have a proper conversation with you, is where do I find hope and a part of the process is to recognize the story that you've gone through, to recognize that you are hurt, to recognize that there's a brokenness inside of you that maybe wasn't caused by you, but it's there. But there is hope. Because I believe that I serve a God who is able to go beyond those hurts. I serve a God who is able to bring restoration. It might be a process, 
It might be a journey of recovery, and it might be time that is needed, tears that are needing to be shed, a grief that needs to come through uh, our, our emotions in order to process and to be able to overcome these wounds and these hurts that you have. But if you leave it unchecked, it is going to keep going. So don't talk to me about whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's not the issue. The issue is that you're still alive right now and you've got a choice in front of you. And suicide is not an option. Suicide is an option that the world puts forward because they, they don't see any hope in continuing on. But we have a hope, a hope that is deeper and a hope that goes further than any of us can even explain. And I, when I sit with you, and, and in fact, my, my counselor friend who, 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 who works with people who have got drug addictions and different issues, he will joke with them and after they tell the story he's like why are you not more addicted why haven't you killed yourself yet that's because there's a seed of hope inside of you that is desperately searching for and I really really hope that you will take the time to explore where hope can really come from which is in Jesus Christ then to check out and to find other options that don't really solve any problem can we just pray this morning? I know this answer is not going to satisfy many people. I know that this is not a, a, an answer that plasters over that wound or makes you feel any better. But I hope that I've given you an understanding of how you work and, and what is going on on the inside. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you to find life and to find hope. So dear Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment and into this space. We don't take this lightly and we know that a person that is going through such difficulty that suicide has become an option truly needs to find hope and truly needs to find life. So God, I pray that they will have the courage to find real hope, to find real answers and to find you in the process, God. I pray for the person that is struggling, where the emotions have been overwhelming, and I pray to God that you speak peace and you just speak clarity into their situation right now. God, you are our healer. You truly are our healer. We thank you that your word says, by your wounds we are healed. You took upon yourself every pain, every hurt, so that we don't have to deal with it, but we can place it upon you and you are strong enough. So we thank you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I know that was a bit of a heavy start, but the reason why we need to talk about it is that it's becoming an issue. It is, it is not becoming an issue. Sorry, it is an issue. And if you do want to uh, talk that through, if you want to seek help, um, there are many organizations that offer help, but come talk to Beck and myself or one of our lift group leaders and, 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 and we'll try to find um, some place that you can work this out and, and talk this through. And, and, and we're right behind you. We want to support you and we want to encourage you in this process. But right now, we're going to be switching gears. And it doesn't get much better here because we start talking about hell. We went from suicide and we, went a, and we got straight to hell. Good fun. And uh, I've got 20 minutes, and I'm going to try to keep this short. And um, just so that I set this up, I, I won't be talking much about heaven at all. I know the topic says, what 
what's the deal about heaven and hell, but I'll be writing a blog post about heaven, uh, about some of the stuff that I've studied that I think will be helpful for you. And so that'll be up by probably Tuesday, and, and, and you can um, access that through our website. But today I want to uh, purposely really focus on the topic of hell, because I think that there's so many misunderstandings that people have about hell. And, and to be honest, while I was doing the research, and this week while I was preparing, I actually realized that I had a false understanding about one aspect of hell, and I'm not proud of it, but it was there. And it's really interesting because I could finally trace uh, that, that thought process, and I could squash it, and now I feel like I can really understand what God is trying to say a lot more. And what happens is that we live in a culture that doesn't like hell. It doesn't like things that they can't properly see, feel, and touch. And so issues of heaven and hell become places or, or, or concepts, I guess, that, that we don't know how to deal with. And, and our culture tries to put in uh, thoughts that might not be very helpful. So for example, when we think about heaven, uh, many of us uh, uh, have this picture of floating around in the clouds uh, as, as naked babies uh, with wings that are way too small to be able to carry our body weight and somehow for eternity we'll be playing harps. Who the heck plays harps? Who has time to learn to play a harp? And then the harps that are always seen in those pictures are like they're tiny. It's like how do baby hands play harps? And, the, and, the, and, and their whole mind gets wrapped around heaven being about floating babies playing harps and, and it's the most boring. It's the most mind-numbing place and who wants to go to heaven and then on the other hand you got hell and hell is 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 party central hell is like a rock concert on steroids and it's going off it's crazy and 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 i've sat with people i've had conversations with people that's like hell sounds like a lot more fun than heaven and if that's your concept of heaven and hell, where heaven is, uh, where, where you're a fat baby playing a harp, and, and hell being a rock concert that you get to enjoy for the rest of eternity, I'm with you. I don't want to see me in baby form again. I was, I was disgust. I wasn't disgusting. Oh, I don't play a harp. I, I'm cool in that. I play electric guitars. I, I'm on the hell side. But... But I think this is where this thought comes from. You've got, you've got God, and the concept of God in our society and our culture today is that He tells you what you can and can't do. He restricts you, and He tells you that your desires are not uh, desires that you should fulfill. You shouldn't sleep around. You shouldn't uh, uh, get drunk. You shouldn't have fun. That's what it sounds like. And so eternity sounds like you're going to a place where this overbearing, oppressive figure is in charge. Not very fun. And so God is like this weird, despotic, over-power-hungry uh, person that makes you into a baby so you can't ever do anything. It's like, who wants to go to heaven with that guy? And on the other hand, if that's the way that you see God, then Satan is the guy who tells you to go pursue your desires and to go pursue all those things that God says not to pursue. And so that guy sounds like the fun guy. And if God's in heaven and Satan's in hell then hell sounds a lot more fun. But this is where there's a big problem. You see, this thought came through a play that was written a while ago. And uh, this play, there was a line that was attributed to Satan. And Satan says this, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. I've got this picture up. Smart guy, Satan. Better to 
reign in hell than serve in heaven. Have a, have a think about that. We, many of us, and this is where I had a problem, I thought Satan reigned in hell. If God reigns in heaven, then Satan reigns in hell. Subconscious, it was, never, it was not something I ever said, but it was something that I held inside. And as I did the research and I was reading this, that is never said in the Bible. In fact, do you know what the Bible says about hell? It says that it's a place that God prepared for Satan's punishment. Matthew 25 verse 41, Jesus says this. He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me tell you something that might blow your mind because it blew my mind. Satan has got no power in hell. Satan is not in hell right now. And I've heard people pray, Satan, you go back down to hell. It's not in the Bible. Satan's not in hell right now. What is happening is that on the day of judgment, Satan will be sentenced to hell. Right now, Satan is roaming the earth, trying to trick and deceive as many people as possible right now, so that when the sentence is given, he is able to steal the hearts and the minds and the fellowship of people that God loves, and they all go to hell, and they suffer the punishment that was intended for Satan alone first. When we think that hell is a party, Satan is laughing his socks off because he knows there's no party going on. He is not ruler of hell. He has got no power when you are in, when, when, in, in hell. Hell is a place that God created for the punishment of Satan and his angels. So when we think of that dichotomy of like, I'd rather go to hell where it's a party rather than go to heaven where it's oppressive, you have got the picture so wrong because that's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, I'm working on the assumption um, that God is real. I know some of you might not agree with me about that, but you can, we can fast backtrack to last week. We talk about that. We don't have time to talk about that today. And I'm talking about the Bible teaching us stuff about heaven and hell and what Christianity should uh, believe about heaven and hell. And yeah, there are certain assumptions that are being made. But if the Bible is right, and if you read it carefully, hell is not a place you want to go. These are some of the descriptions of hell, and it's mainly found in Matthew 25, but hell is a place of eternal fire, of darkness, of punishment, of, uh, of, of restlessness, uh, in the sense that you will never have any rest. It's talked about as a second death, a, weeping, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, of shame and everlasting contempt. You can go search out those uh, Bible verses yourself, read it for yourself, don't just trust me about it, Look at what the Bible says. Hell is not a place of fun. And as you look into these words, one of the commentators wrote, it's obvious that uh, the writers weren't actually trying or uh, weren't able to describe this place because it says first that there's eternal fire and then it says that it's a place of darkness. Fire doesn't allow darkness unless you've got some kind of weird dark fire going on, which maybe hell does. I don't know. But what, what, what these descriptions are is to describe an indescribable place, a place of indescribable, unimaginable. Our human words haven't been able to describe what this hell is like. 
And the other thing that is attached to all these descriptions is that it is eternal. And so I do I want to deal with the first question about the whole idea that, that maybe uh, people don't go to this eternal world of suffering, but maybe they just cease to exist. Well, there's a, a, a title for that thought which is proven wrong in the Bible, and that thought is called nihilism. You can go search that up yourself, but the Bible does not support nihilism. People have come up with the thought of nihilism because uh, the, the Bible does describe hell as a place of destruction. And so they think that maybe destruction means a person doesn't exist anymore. But the eternal destruction is more just a sense. Uh, it's more a description of the pain and the agony of being in hell. It talks about an eternal place. Jesus actually talks a lot more about hell than heaven. And when you read the descriptions of hell that, 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 that Jesus talks about, they all talk about an eternal place of suffering. Eternal. You will be suffering there for eternity. I think what people were trying to do is that they were trying to put together this thought that maybe hell is not as bad as some people make it out to be. Because if hell is really as bad as people make it out to be, it's a thought and a concept that stands in stark contrast to God. And so I hope I've quickly dealt with that first question. Annihilism is a false teaching. It is not a right teaching. Eternity in hell is the, is, is the, is the uh, overriding pattern that you will see in the Bible. But here we are. We are left with this really difficult thought. How do we put this eternal world of suffering, as the person asked, with an all-loving God? See, love, God's love is a pivotal, central concept to God. Without love, Christianity falls apart. And, and to put together this idea of God's love with this idea of how desperately terrible hell is, is really difficult to piece them together. And for myself, I, I had to deal with this question a few years ago because uh, there was this uh, uh, book that was put up by a pastor named Pastor Rob Bell. And he, he, he had this promo video that, that really captured me because he, he basically asked this question, how can an all-loving God send people uh, to an eternal world of punishment? How do we reconcile this? And as he put out that video, I, I went through a search for myself because, yeah, if God's that cruel, I don't know if I want to serve Him. I understand that some of you in this room right now, when you're hearing all this stuff about hell, it's like, oh, this God guy is pretty crazy. And, and I, would, I would be with you, except that I've done the study and the research and I found out, by the way, Pastor Rob Bell's book is not a book that is grounded in theology or, or proper study of the Bible. It is um, just some really nice thoughts to make you feel better about yourself. Uh, and there are much better books out there uh, that, that help us understand what hell is like. But I just want to bring a bit of an explanation of how these concepts of God is love and eternal punishment, how they come together. And... The key thing that I recognize as the problem is our starting point in this discussion. See, whether you like it or not, most human beings start from the point of view in this discussion as human beings deserve heaven. Our starting point is that heaven is my right. I'm nowhere near Hitler, so maybe I should be given entry into heaven. Does that make sense? 
most people would kind of agree that you don't think you're that bad. And we did discuss this issue a while ago during um, Easter, but when we start from the point of view that humankind deserves heaven, it definitely makes God look really cruel because suddenly the guy who only stole a dollar being sent to hell doesn't look like a very loving God. You know what I mean? It's hard to conceptualize God as loving when people who are on a trajectory to heaven are being cut off by God and being sent down to hell. God looks cruel and God is sending people to hell who deserve heaven. Unfortunately, that is a concept that is nowhere found in the Bible again. The starting point of understanding hell and understanding God as love at the same time is understanding that the starting point is that all humankind are corrupt and broken. All humankind were heading toward hell. It is a law, it is a standard that was set as law. See, God created humanity perfectly. In the creation of the world, in Genesis 1 verse 1, onwards, we read about the creation of the world and, and humanity and and God said it was perfect. At that point in time, sin did not exist upon the face of the planet. But Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. And what the Bible shows us is their one little action caused sin to enter into the world. And, and when sin came into the world, what sin did is that sin corrupted. Sin corrupted. So that every one of us are born with this corrupted nature. We were intended to be perfect according to how God created us. But sin corrupted. When you look at a two-year-old child who just six months ago was the best angel, but now that they learn how to talk, they're talking back at you. This is rebellious nature from a two-year-old kid. If they had the strength of a 30-year-old, you would be in big trouble. But they've got this rebellious streak. Did anyone teach them how to be selfish? Any parent here? Your child two years old is like, okay, now you need to learn about selfishness. Learn about self-centeredness because um, it's part of this world. You better learn it now, not you're going to fall behind. So you need to learn how to say mine. You need to learn how to not share. Okay, kid? Don't share. You need to learn this concept. By two and a half, we'll teach you how to share. But at two, yep. No one teaches the kid how to be selfish. They learn how to be selfish. I remember talking to my pastor, and he, he because his kids had, had, had a pretty vivid imagination, he never, he never allowed them to watch cartoons with killing or, or any of, that, of guns and sword fights because they were really quite sensitive kids. But at some age, they, they started play fighting. He was like, how did you learn how to play? They hadn't gone to school yet. But they had made guns. These boys had learned how to make toy guns. And he was like, where did this come from? How did they learn how to fight? I never taught them that. It's because our corrupt human nature somehow loves destruction, loves selfishness. And according to the perfect law, that corruption cannot be allowed to enter heaven. That corruption needs to be destroyed. The starting point of understanding hell is to understand that the corruption that exists within us, like a virus, 
cannot be allowed to enter into heaven. We were on a one-way ticket, a one-way pass to hell. God didn't send, doesn't send people to hell. We're already on our way to hell. And some people might ask, but if God is love, surely he can change that rule a little bit. He can manipulate it. Well, the Bible says this, Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he not fulfill it? Basically, if we allow ourselves to think that God in his love will change the rules, that means that God cannot be just. God is not allowed to judge if he cannot be just. Can you imagine a judge that when his own child has broken the law, that judge changes the law to suit uh, the, 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 and benefit this child? That is not a judge that you want to go to. That is not a judge that is fit to be a judge. And in the same way, if God bends the rules, if God is able to be manipulated, he cannot be just and he cannot be God. But in that way, God has to uphold the very law that was written, the perfect law, the law that says that anything corrupt must go to hell. He needs to uphold it. For him to change the law means that he stops being just. That means that he cannot differentiate between good and bad. That means that heaven is not a good place to be because he will allow anything and everything that makes him feel good or that breaks his heart. No, God is just, and so he will not bend the rules. But what God did and what God promised is that he fulfilled those rules. See, right from beginning... God initiated a plan, a plan of redemption that included Jesus coming onto, uh, onto earth as a human being and, and living a perfect sinless life and dying on our behalf, taking the punishment upon himself so that we would be able to have entrance into heaven. What we need to understand is that the starting point is that we were heading toward hell, but God did something about that. His love is not that he would change the rules as he would like, but that he fulfilled the rules by taking on the consequences for us. And we put up this verse every week, Romans 10 verse 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God has made an easy path for us to find salvation. God, God's love is shown in that He knew that people were going to hell, but He was going to do something about it. But the choice is still ours. The choice is not something that God has taken away from us to take away our will and to take away our choices, to take away our humanity. God still wants us to be human, and so He waits for us to choose. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you're still alive and you're here right now, God has withheld His judgment for you to be able to find Him.
His love is seen in that respect. I'd like to just read a quote to you as I'm finishing off. If we can get the band up. It's from a theologian, and his name is Richard Niebuhr. And he wrote about what happens when we deny the terrible nature of hell. When we do anything to take down a few notches how terrible hell is, this is what he says it is like. It's like a God without wrath, without anger, brought men without sin. And we like the God without wrath bit. And then he goes on to say, brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Where we take away hell, we take away the cross. Where we take away the cross, we take away God's love. When we take away God's love, all of this falls apart. See, I realized something that maybe the Christian church has been slow to talk about hell and to teach about hell because hell's not easy to teach about. In preparing this, it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a heavy topic. This is not going to be one of those, you laugh at Nate's jokes because I'm talking about hell here. And it's not fun. It's not easy. I'd rather talk about God's love. But then as I did this research, I started to see that if I don't teach you about hell, you might not understand God's love for you. See, our Christian world has reduced God's love to a feeling. When we sing our favorite song and it puts a few goosebumps at the back of our neck, God loves me. But in the middle of that, that emotion, that thought, that, that hurt that causes you to contemplate suicide, suddenly God's love is not there anymore. Because we've reduced God's love to a feeling and an emotion. But when we understand that hell is a real place, that hell was the path that I was on. And God's love was demonstrated that while I was still a sinner, while I was still on that path, while I was worthless to Him, while I could do nothing about anything, about what was going on, while I was still a sinner, God died for me. He chose to take that penalty upon His own body so that I would be able to gain entrance into heaven. That is love. Love is not some kind of emotion or feeling in a temporal moment. Love is knowing what God God has done for me. You know, I don't remember everything that my parents have done for me, but I know that I know that they have provided. I know that they've done something for me. I don't live in the same house with them anymore, but I know that my parents still love me because of the evidence of what is going on in my life. And I don't need them to be saying to me, I love you, son. I love you, son, all the time for me to know that. Or to give me a cuddle every single moment of every single day. But, but God has demonstrated His love in the same way 
way that he has already dealt with the penalty of sin. He has already dealt with the consequences of sin. He has already dealt with the question of hell for each and every single one of us. So why am I reducing God's love to an emotion that I'm so desperate to feel when I know that 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 God loved me so much that he sacrificed something that I could never sacrifice by my own. I hope that this is reaching somewhere deep inside of you. Even for me, while putting this message together, it helped me to understand that if I truly lived understanding that this life on earth is just this temporal moment, that when I understand what God has done to deal with hell and what God has done to open up heaven to me, my life should look different. My life must look different. When I see someone else and they all snobby and putting me down and I don't like them, I don't have to react. Because God proved His love for me through the cross. When I'm passed up for promotion in my workplace, that thing that I've been working so hard for and someone else that's just joined the company jumps right over me and, and you know that guy's an idiot. I don't have to react like any person else because I know my value. Value doesn't come from some position in a company. My value comes from the fact that God died for me. He saw fit. He saw value and worth in me to die for me. I don't have to be emotional about all these things. Am I saying that you're not allowed to have emotions? No. Emotions are there. And they are guiding posts to maybe some of the stuff that we have to do. But Christians, if we don't live with the light of eternity in our now, we're helping people to think that heaven's a place of fat babies with miniature wings, learning how to play harps. We're helping people to think that hell is a much better place. But when you understand the life that God has given to you, as we quote from John 10 verse 10 from the message version all the time, Jesus came that I might have real and eternal life, a more and better life. And I lived a life as much as I had said that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I didn't live with this understanding of hell and, and eternity much. And, and I realized that I started to pursue things that were bringing death and destruction to me. There is nothing in this world that could ever satisfy the needs in you. You will lie to yourself and tell you that that relationship is going to fill the void in your heart. Well, that person is going to let you down. I guarantee it. You know, you say that that job position that you've been working for, that, that perfect uh, uh, company that you're going to set up, that, that new cafe, that new whatever it is, is going to satisfy. It won't satisfy. It will let you down. It will let you down hard. At the moment that you least need it, it's going to kick you in the butt because that's what the world is able to offer. There's nothing that the world can offer that will make you feel good. So you drug yourself up with sex, drugs, and alcohol with relationships that mean nothing and you hope to make it through the next day. Well, there's a hope that is greater than that. 
And our hope is that Jesus Christ came that you might have real and better life, a more and better life. That's the life that I want. If you take away hell, you take away the power of the cross. You take away the power of God's love. You take away the reality of God's love. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.